בוקר טוב. שלמה המלך סזם משלה. החכם עיניו בראשו. He says the wise person, his eyes are in his head. What does that mean, that his, that his eyes are in his head? According to this, everybody's a hakam. Because everybody's eyes is in their head. But perhaps Shlomo Amalek means that usually people's eyes are on the outside of their head. Where they only could see what their eyes see. When you're a person who is a hacham, your eyes are in your head, inside your head. Which means that you see with your mind. And you don't let your eyes externally fool you. There is nothing that is more deceiving than the human eye. A person can be looking and understanding based on his eyes, but if you would be a hacham and his eyes are inside, how do you have your eyes inside? When you are a person who sees ahead, your physical eyes do not see ahead. Your physical eyes only see what's in front of you. The real eyes of a person, the real eyes of the hakam, are the ones that's able to see way beyond the human eye. The human eye, the external one, only sees what's in front of it. Only sees the present. But the hakam has eyes that could see way beyond what's happening. That's really what we've been learning. A hakam inav biroshok. Not on top of his head or outside his head. They're in his head. Which ha- who has an eye in his head? The, the, the real eyes of a person are the ones that see further down that the physical eyes can never see. In fact, perhaps that's the explanation when the Torah tells us that we should put tefillin between our eyes. And we know that we don't put the tefillin between our eyes. If we put it between our eyes, they would go on top of the nose. And we know we put them on top of the head. Interesting thing. Torah wants us to put it on top of our head. So put it, say, put it al roshecha. So we say, no, no. Ben aynecha means the area on your head that's between your eyes. So why does the Torah say between your eyes? Answer is, and I believe it's even scientifically that way, that the eyes of the person physically are connected to the brain that's on top. So the, 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 the sight that a person is able to see is actually in the brain, in the spot where we put the tefillin. But on a deeper level, on a deeper level, that is the main eyes of the person. The main eyes, Torah is telling you, is in your head. Because if you're only going to see what your eyes see, you're a very limited person. 
when you're able to use the eyes of the brain, you have the capability of accomplishing tremendously in life. So that's what it means. Every time you put on your tefillin, remember, Ben Anecha, my real eyes, the real powerful eyes of the person is the one inside his head that he's able to see much further and much more ahead. There's a midrash. I think it's a very, very powerful midrash. Could I to say it on this subject? Every day I think we finish the subject and I realize, how do we not say this one? The midrash says, gives three stories mentioned in Tanakh and has the same comment on each story. It's stories of people who did something nice and the Torah reports it. And the Midrash has what to say on each one of them. First story is the story of Reuben. When they were selling Yosef and he was in the Bor, right? So he told them, my dear brothers, let's not leave him in the board. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. He did a great thing. He saved Yosef's life. Yosef was in the board, basically ready to, to die. There was no way out. Reuben says, let's not kill him. Let's not have blood on our hands. Let's sell him. And that's what they did. Another story by Aharon Cohen, when Moshe Rabbeinu refused to take leadership of the Jewish nation because he was afraid that his brother Aharon would be slighted, his older brother that's been in the trenches in Egypt, leading the, the people in the most difficult times. And now his younger brother who has been living out of town for more than 60 years, is going to come and be the leader. He felt this would not be appropriate. So Hashem says, no, Aaron, I give you my word, I know him. When he sees you, he's going to be happy. He's going to give you a big smile. And not only is it going to be an external happiness, it's going to be belly ball, it's going to be, he's going to be happy with all his heart. That's story number two. Story number three is in Megillat Ruth, where we find that Ruth, who had no money, her mother-in-law had no money, they were very poor, and they needed to eat. So the Pasuk says that Ruth went out into one of the fields, happens to be the field that belonged to Boaz, and the Pasuk says that Boaz, when he saw her, he was impressed by her and he gave her some roasted grains. That's the Megillah says. He gave her some roasted grains to eat. These are three stories that the Midrash finds some connection to. Let's review. Story number one, Reuven saves Yosef's life. Number two, Aharon comes out to greet Moshe with happiness. Number three, Boaz does a kindness, a special kindness with Ruth by giving her roasted grain. 
I guess roasted grain is more hashuv than regular grain. You have to roast it. You have, he gave her something ready to eat instead of giving her wheat that she has to go and prepare. So all three stories of people who did a very nice act. The Midrash finds a common denominator in all these stories and says the following line. Ilu haya yodea, says the Midrash, if Reuven would have known that the Torah is going to write that he saved his brother, he would have carried him on his shoulders all the way back to his father. If he would have seen, you know, when Reuven was doing the act, he wasn't reading the Torah. He's a man somewhere in the forest, in the Midbar, wherever they were. And he's with his brothers. There's no cameras there. There were no reporters there. It was a story between the family. And he decided to sell his brother instead of killing him. It's a beautiful thing. Says the Midrash, if Reuven would have known that this would be written in the Torah. He would have taken it, he wouldn't just save his brother from the boat. He would take his brother on his back and he would carry him all the way back to his father. Says the Midrash, if Aharon, Elu, if Aharon would have known, again, when Aharon went to greet his brother Moshe, there was nobody there. There were no press people looking at him. There was nobody watching him. His brother was coming and he went out to greet him. If, says the Midrash, if Aharon would have known that it would be written, it would be reported that he went out to greet his brother with happiness, if he would have known that, he would have brought a band with him. He would have brought out trumpets. He would have brought a harp. He would have brought all different drums to greet his brother. Story number three. Says the Midrash, if Boaz knew that it was going to be reported, remember he was with Ruth in his field, there's nobody around. He gave her something nice. Gave her roasted grain. An upgrade, something nicer than wheat. Says the Midrash, had he known that this would appear in Tanakh, in Megillat Rut, he would have given her steaks. He would have given her prime ribs, lamb chops. He wouldn't give her roasted grain. It was something much better. If he would have known they're going to write in Megillat Rut, Look what Boaz gave Ruth. He would have done even more than that. This is the Midrash that finds three people in history who did something nice, but says had they known that it would be written up, they would have done it much nicer. Now, when you read this Midrash, it seems to be a little bit of a negative message almost making each one of these people, Reuven, Aaron, Boaz, 
It's almost making them as if they're out there for respect, for spotlight. Had they known that it would, you know, I, you know a guy's giving charity. He said, oh, had I known it's going to be reported all over the world, I'll give him more. I would have gotten, I would have gotten more mileage for my act. So we know what that feels like. Sometimes a person does something and all of a sudden people start to know about it. He said, I could have done more. It makes, it makes Reuven, Aharon, and Boaz look like they're honor seekers. And the Midrash is giving a negative spin on something good that they did. Saying, if there was more kavod involved, they would have done even more. So the question is, is that really what the Midrash is saying? Is the goal to put down a good act of great people and to make them like they're honor seekers? So really, that's not the point of the Midrash. The point of the Midrash is a very powerful point that applies to all people, including great ones. What the Midrash is telling you and I is that part of the reason why we don't give something our all is because we don't see with our eyes in our brain. We only see with the eyes on our face. But had we seen with the eyes on our brains and understood what we're doing, we would have done the same item, but much better. Reuven, had he known that what he was doing is so important, that if we re it would be reported in the Torah, Hashem in the Torah doesn't report many things in history. Torah is not a history book. Torah is very calculated in what it shares with us. Had Reuven realized that this act that he was doing was so valuable that it would be reported in the Torah that Hashem said, oh wow, look what this man did. I better write that in the Torah. Had he known how valuable his action was, he would have given so much more effort to it. Aharon the same. Aharon was doing what was natural to him. He was going to do what was his daily way of life. He wanted to see his brother. He was happy for him that he became the leader. Wasn't jealous. Beautiful. But had Aharon known how valuable that way is, he thought it was a nice thing to do. Reuven thought it was a nice thing to do. Aaron thought it was a nice thing to do. Had he known it was way more than a nice thing, Hashem decided to write it in his Torah. That means it was more than nice. He did something powerful. He would have done more. And the same by Boaz. He thought he was doing something nice and all of a sudden... He sees it reported in Megillah Truth. That little act 
that I gave her roasted grain, made it to the Megillah of Rut, the eternal Tanakh. Is if I would have known that how important that act was, I would have done so much more. But I didn't realize how valuable my action was. The Midrash is telling you and I that part of the reason we don't put more effort and do things on a higher level and we don't give it our all is because we don't see the value the way it's supposed to be seen. We don't realize how valuable our actions are. We do something and we think it's nice. But says the Midrash, if you had chokhmah, if you had real eyes, you would see much more than just giving someone as a nice thing. You would see it as a powerful act. When someone tells you that what you're doing is a very powerful thing, automatically you want to do it in the best way. You know, all of us, we know that when we're doing something in the moment, something, you know the moment's very special, so you put much more effort in that moment. If you're speaking to your friend or you're speaking in front of a thousand people, makes a big difference in your mind that now, since I'm speaking in front of so many people, it's a big moment. I better prepare. And if it's 100,000 people that you're speaking in front of, so in your eyes, you got to give it your all. That's the way our eyes, our physical eyes see. Our physical eyes see numbers. But I know better sure if our eyes were, were in our head, we would see the tremendous value of what we sometimes think is something small. Small things are only for the physical eye. But the internal eye doesn't see small things. The internal eye sees what Hazal tells us is mitzvah goreret mitzvah. Our internal eyes see that one act of kindness or one mitzvah is just one small step to the next, which is another small step to the next. And a year or two away, you'll see a whole new human being, a person who decides he's going to start learning going to put more effort in his learning. In his eyes, that's a small step. His wife asked him, where are you going? You're leaving early this morning. Now I'm going to start learning a little. Seems like a small thing. But if we had Ainav Biroshaw, if you had the eyes in your head, you'd realize it's not small at all. You'd realize that you're starting a process that is very big. And if you knew that from the beginning, you would put even more effort into your learning. If you thought your learning was a nice thing that you're starting to do, so you put a little effort. But if you knew that your learning is going to get you to something very big, and according to the effort, that's how big it's going to be in the end, 
So you'll put a lot more effort into your learning. And the same way when you give tzedakah. If you think giving tzedakah is a nice thing, so you'll, you'll behave in a nice way. But when you realize that you're giving tzedakah is something huge, if you realize how big it is, if your internal eyes saw how big it is, imagine you're giving a guy charity and no one knows about it. So your physical eyes say, nobody's watching, it's a nice thing you're doing. No big deal. But your mental eyes, they would see you doing something huge. And therefore you would put much more effort into what you do. So that's what it means. The wise person isn't fooled by his physical eyes. Physical eyes only get impressed when they see big events, big kavod, big things in front of them. When the physical eyes see big things, a person steps up his energy and says, Oh, I got to do more. But if you have if your eyes are inside your head, you would start seeing very big things that you never saw before and never realized how big they were. That's what the Midrash means. <clears throat> I thought that really just the end to end this You know, how come people by nature don't think? We said the Yetzirah is the one that says don't think. Let, let people think for you. How often do we have people thinking for us? Dave, how often are people thinking for us? I'm not saying it's 100%, but it's sure very close to it. Because whatever we wear has kind of already been advised to us. Whatever we buy, the, we kind of count on other people. You know, if people do something, we just assume that that's what we should be doing too. No, even good things. Oh yeah, you could even go to shul in the morning because somebody else told you. You could even learn because you see people learning, so you start learning. That's not called a person who made their own decision. That's the truth. If we would look at our lives, we would realize that most times we're just following what people do. Very, very few times will we actually stop and think. What a famous about what we should do, what's proper to do, if we're doing something right, if we could do more. I thought to myself, why is that so? The Yetzirah just wants you to follow. Simple reason, when you are following, you're following your eyes. And your eyes are always more attracted to things that aren't really good for you. This is what I want you to think. 
Yisratov wants you to think. That's what we said. Why is it such a struggle to go with the Yisratov? What makes it difficult to think? So one of the reasons is laziness. Lazy. For a person to think requires effort. We usually don't like to put effort if we don't have to. That's one of the reasons. But I believe there's a deeper reason why we don't like to think. We don't like to think because it's a little bit of a hit on our ego. When a person thinks, that means they're second-guessing their initial thoughts. Right? Generally speaking, we have developed an opinion and a mindset for everything in life. Where we got it from is irrelevant. We've picked it up from all over. So we have a mindset. We have an idea of what we think life should, should be. We have an idea of how to live or how not to live. We have an idea of what's considered good, what's not considered good. Bottom line is, everybody here has got their own idea of what's good for them, what's not good for them, what's right, what's wrong. We have all developed a full understanding of life according to the way we see it. Again, where that came from, we're not really sure. But somehow we became who we are. Does it make it wrong? No. Does it make it wrong? But it makes it unreliable. Does it make it wrong? It's unreliable. Right? If a guy tells you, I think you might need surgery, is he wrong? No. Not wrong. Not reliable. This, a person who is wrong or unreliable? For a person who cares about his life, unreliable doctors are not the people you go to. Even though they could be right, could be. But he's not reliable. So therefore, a person, as they live their life, according to the way they see it, now this applies even to a three-year-old. A three-year-old also has a vision of life the way he sees it. You ever see guys say the world according to my eyes? The way I see it? Yes? So everyone's got the way they see it. Everyone has eyes and everyone sees the world the way they see it. Again, where it came from, is it authentic, is it right, is it wrong, is it straight, is it misleading, will it get you to the right place, will it not get you? All these are not really part of the reason of how it got to you. It could have gotten to you from many different channels. And even if they're completely off, still your mindset. Everybody's got a mindset and an opinion on probably every matter that they have any connection to. We have a ma'alach, we have a, a derech, we have a way. For a person to start thinking just that thought alone is a very humbling experience. Because when you say, well, let me think about this. I've been keeping Shabbat this way. Why do I keep it this way? 
Who knows? For whatever reason, that's the way I keep it. Certain things I don't do. Certain things I do anyway. Of course, I'm Shomer Shabbat. This is my Shabbat. Sounds familiar? It's your Shabbat. Now, again, how it became your Shabbat, probably you won't know 100%. But that's the way Shabbat is in your eyes. For you to start thinking, well, let me see. What is the right Shabbat? Just that thought alone is a very humbling experience. Because that means you could be, and you're saying to yourself, that I could be completely off in the Shabbat that I keep, the Shabbat that I'm proud of, the Shabbat that I proclaim is called Shemirat Shabbat. If I'm willing to start thinking, it means I'm willing to see that I'm wrong. And that requires a lot of humility, especially if you get older. And if already you've developed not only a habit, but you've developed an ideology. You know, people who don't keep Shabbat the right way, if they keep doing that for 5, 10, 20 years, it becomes an ideology. It's not just the way you do it. It's the way it's supposed to be done. Big difference. It develops that way. First, you do it a certain way. Then you do it more that way. Then you have to answer yourself from your neighbor. And then you develop, you start teaching it to your children. Your children say, Dad, how do we keep Shabbat? Oh, it's like saying, who's our football team? Right. Says, Dad, how do we keep Shabbat? Right. What's our level of kashrut, Dad? How do we keep kosher? Right? So you got your own idea. Oh, yeah, son. We keep kosher in the house. Oh, wow, very nice. So that's called kosher? Yes, yes, son. That's the right way to do it. So, Dad, we also, we also eat steaks out? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't eat No, no. We don't eat steaks out. I don't go that far. But do we go to a restaurant with steaks? Oh, yes, of course. Yes, but we don't eat the steak. Oh, wow. Huh? No, some people, they mahmir, they bring the cheese. But you know what? This, this conversation you have with your children about many things. Dad, do we go to shul? Yes. Roshan and Kippur. Absolutely. We're members. I pay every year the membership and we go every Roshan and Kippur. You understand? Some people go also on the holidays, whenever they sell aliyot, they go because it's part of it's it's part of the it's part of the shul experience. If you go to shul and they don't sell aliyot, you feel like you're in the wrong place. And some people they even go on Shabbat. But Dad, when do we go? When do we go to shul on Shabbat? Okay, if they start eight, you go at nine thirty, and. Do we go to all the prayers on Shabbat? Listen, Friday night, we don't really go usually. Unless it's a Yotzai with saying Kaddish, we don't go. Motzei Shabbat, sometimes we catch me Hagid Olah. 
This is where we don't have to pray Arvid. I always thought when they announced Mahagidullah, it's all the people who couldn't wait. They couldn't wait to pray Minhal later. <laughs> I was always jealous of those people. They couldn't wait to pray Minhal later, so they had to make an early minyan for them so they could do it, get out of their system. They were waiting to pray Minhal. Until I came, I saw everyone in their shorts. You, you see what's going on? You see how habits become ideologies. Because the minute you start passing it over to your children, it's no longer a habit, it has to become an ideology. Because when you give over to your children, you're not a, you don't want to look like a hamor. It's one thing if you do something yourself, when you're younger and you do your own thing, that's not an ideology, that's what you do. But when you become a father, so automatically now you see yourself as a teacher. And now your habits became your ideology. It's a very big difference. Because now you got to teach it to your children. So that's why changing a guy before he's married is much easier. Because at that point, he's not yet entrenched in ideology. He may be entrenched in habits. But once they have children, their habits became, became their teaching. Of course, they didn't go out with a book and write it, but that's what they're doing. You're teaching your children. That's the way we're supposed to do everything. Sometimes. Oh, yeah, right. That's true, by the way. All right. Sometimes you teach your children. Depends where you're keeping Shabbat. If it's in Brooklyn, you keep it this way. If it's in deal, there's a Shabbat version of deal. And now I'm on vacation is a whole new kind of Shabbat. This is what we do. So now you go to a guy who has been teaching his family the ideologies of his life. Again, these ideologies were never learned. They were just habits that became the new teaching. And now you want the guy to start thinking about his Shabbat. That is a very humbling experience to start thinking about the ideology that you taught your children that it might be the wrong ideology. That you got to be a very honest, humble man to do that. When you're younger, you just got to change your way. Not so easy either. But when you're older and you're teaching so many people, you already have children, you have grandchildren that are learning from you. And now you want to start saying to the guy, Oh, you want to be a wise man? You got to start thinking before you do things. That becomes a very big challenge. It's a challenge in humility and arrogance. It's very hard for a person to be teaching a subject for 20 years and then tell the guy, you know, maybe you've been teaching wrong for 20 years. He's invested money and time and effort. And now maybe all that's wrong. That's a very difficult position to be in. That's why the Torah says, Asher nasiyaheta. Fortunate ashre. Fortunate are the people who their leader is willing to say, 
I was wrong. I made a mistake. Fortunate are the children that their father can stay, can, can say on the Shabbat table, boys and girls, I want to tell you, for the last 30 years, I was wrong. Who could say that? Who can get up in front of their children and say, my teachings, my lifestyle was wrong. I want to say that to you. I made a mistake, but I'm not going to continue to make that mistake. I'm going to learn from that mistake. It takes a big person to get up in front of his students and his children and the people that follow him and say, we made a mistake in this, in that, or maybe in more things. And by the way, by the way, it's something you should practice. It's something you should practice in your life. It's almost worthwhile to make a mistake on purpose just so you get up in front of your family and say, I made a mistake. Luckily for us here, we don't have to do it on purpose. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, we don't need to do this on purpose. There are so many things in our lives that we can get up this Friday night and do it. Don't be scared. It's, yes, yeah, yeah, Friday night, when your whole family's together, I give you a piece of advice. You'll feel a kedusha in your heart that you haven't felt something like this before. Get up in front of your family and take something that you maybe have changed or will change and say, I just want to tell you guys, I know, I want to tell you, I know I've been doing this a certain way for many years and I know I probably even told you, but I want to tell you it was a mistake. I made a mistake. I feel bad about it. And I'm going to change going forward. Take something. It doesn't have to be your whole life. Take one thing that you've been doing. It could be a small thing. This doesn't matter, small or big. Take something that you've done and that you've changed or are willing to change and say it and announce it in front of your entire family. It'll be one of the most beautiful experiences that you'll ever have. You'll see a tremendous level of Kiddushat enter your soul. You'll see it. So it's hard, but it's very beautiful. The harder something is, usually the more Kiddushat there is in it. So it's a humbling experience for a person to start thinking about what they've been doing for so many years. But that's what it's going to take. The wise person, his eyes are in his head. But you have to get over the hump of laziness and over the hump of humility. You must be a humble person that's willing to stand up and say, I was wrong. If you are able to do that this Friday night, you will do a tremendous hesed, not only for yourself, but for all your children. They will learn a bigger lesson than what you're teaching them. They will learn that it is a worthwhile endeavor in life to rethink what we do and to sometimes say, that was wrong and I made a mistake. That is the biggest gift you could hand them this Friday night. Bigger than the kibbeh and the lahamajin. Okay, gentlemen, have a wonderful day.